0: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so Rabbi Glebe has asked me to uh, continue on in Galatians. We're going to go over a passage which you've you've already heard from, but I think you'll, you'll find the emphasis is a little different. We're in Galatians chapter 2. That's page 1114 in the Congregational Tanakh. I want to start this morning uh, with a story. There was once a man who was given... A tremendous opportunity, a man who had sort of a humble background. He worked in a laborious field, day in, day out as a day laborer. He wasn't learned. He didn't have much wealth. But he was given a tremendous opportunity. You see, that this man all of a sudden had the opportunity to study under a teacher. And this teacher taught him uh, the scriptures and the ways of God, And this is something that a man of his class would never have had access to. Uh, But in this situation, uh, he did. He followed his teacher everywhere. He was uh, overjoyed to learn about God. But as his teacher uh, became popular with some, he became unpopular with others. And so, uh, before long, uh, his teacher was arrested. And I think maybe you know the story he went uh, to the courthouse where his teacher was arraigned, uh, concerned because of his love for his teacher. But while he was there, he encountered servants in the courtyard. And they asked him, do you know this man, this teacher who's been arrested? Do you know him? And he said, no, no, I don't know him. They said, really, you sound like you might know him. You sound like you're from his town. You've got that accent, like you're from that neck of the woods. He said, no, I, I don't know him. And even a third time, he denied that he knew Yeshua, and this, this man was Peter. He denied Yeshua out of fear for his own safety, uh, out of concern, but n- not because he, he didn't want to be uh, Yeshua's disciple. He was there because he loved Yeshua, but he was scared and he made a mistake, and he denied him just as Yeshua said he would. I can only begin to imagine how this must have been Uh, for Peter, he must have felt such shame. I mean, what happened after the crucifixion? Did he tell the other disciples, I denied Yeshua? Or did he keep it to himself out of shame? I think in any case, he must have felt so much regret. This morning, I want to argue, I want to present to you that there is a halakha with which Peter could overcome this. There's a halakha by which Peter could move on from this difficulty. So we're going to look today at Galatians 2, where Peter is once again making a bit of an error. But we're going to look, look at it with an eye to the transformation that Peter will be able to undergo once he learns the lesson he needs to learn in this chapter. Uh, just to clarify, halakha is from the Hebrew halak, to walk, and so halakha is your way of walking. So I'm going to use this term because we're going to speak today about the way we walk and the way we walk with God. We're going to speak today about holiness and about grace and works. And I'm going to argue that there's only one halakha by which Peter can draw near to Yeshua again and again as he does. Uh, so let's uh, go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I posed him to his face, because he was clearly in the wrong. For before certain people came from Jacob, he regularly ate with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and separate himself, fearing those from the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not walking in line with the truth of the good news, I said to Peter in front of everyone, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is a very surprising uh, turn of events because Peter himself was at the forefront of, of the, the movement of God in welcoming Gentiles into the body of believers. You see, in Acts chapter 10, Peter himself was the emissary of God who went to see a Gentile God-fear upon invitation. And he only did so because God asked him to in a vision. God prepared him to. And so when he was summoned by Cornelius, he knew that he must go. And when Peter went to see Cornelius, he said, You yourselves know that it is not permitted for a Jewish man to associate with a non-Jew or to visit him. Yet God has shown me that I should call no one unholy or unclean. So I came without objection when I was sent for. I ask then, what is the reason why you sent for me? At their invitation, Peter preached the gospel to them, and Peter witnessed the Rok the Holy Spirit, descend upon this group of Gentiles, something that had never happened in this way. And so Peter, he's not new to this discussion of are Gentiles in or not. And should we be together in fellowship? This is not a new topic for him. He knows, he knows that uh, Gentiles are not unholy and unclean. And this is why this is an issue of halakha, because they had a halakha at the time that said that to maintain ritual purity, you had to separate from those who were not Jews. This is what Paul is taking issue with in Galatians chapter 2. What's stunning about this is the reason for Peter's separation. He used to uh, spend time with and fellowship with and commune with and be one with the Gentiles in Galatia, excuse me, in Antioch in particular. But he no longer does because he's intimidated by Jews who have a different halakha who have come to town. And they say, you're acting like a sinner, you can't be with them. It's not clear uh, who these opponents are. And I, I'm not going to uh, really make an argument either way because I, I don't think it's going to help our point. But needless to say, they may know the gospel, but it is not their first priority. They do not totally understand it, that is for sure, because the gospel is not permeated into their halakha, these Jews who have come from James and caused Peter to separate. So why is it hypocrisy? Why does Peter say that, or, uh, Paul say that this is hypocrisy? It's hypocrisy because Peter is not acting in his convictions and because he's sinning in the name of holiness. Crazy. He's separating from Gentiles for the sake of holiness? What is holy about this? It's because he's subscribing to a definition of holiness that we need to reassess. A definition of holiness that is based on separation from the world. And this is really what I want to highlight this morning is that we have sort of multiple ideas of holiness in our messianic thought. We have holiness over here, which is Jewish holiness. We are holy in the Torah, we are separate from the nations. And we have holiness over here, which is righteousness in Messiah Yeshua. And so we have to ask the question, how do these things get along? How is it that Peter can remain holy as a Jew while still fellowshipping with Gentiles? And how is it that Gentiles, who were once regarded as unholy, are now holy? Clearly, some work needs to be done here. These two things cannot just remain separate. We have to ask ourselves, what is holiness for us today? So Peter puts on this show, and he leads his companions down this same road as well. Fellow Jews, Barnabas even. They also stop fellowshipping with Gentiles. This is a tragic regression. I want to argue today that not all halakha inspires true holiness. And now my goal is not to condemn traditional halakha. My goal is not to say, forget the Torah. That is not where I'm going. But my goal is to cause us to to reevaluate what halakha, what way of living, is really going to inspire holiness. And what is that holiness that we're striving toward? This morning, we must consider what sort of holiness we are endeavoring to attain to because God sanctifies men differently for different purposes. The sanctification we pursue as the children of Israel will set us apart as a people, but it will not always draw us near to God. There are several lessons from this first section, and really I want to spend the bulk of this message really talking about holiness and really talking about sanctification so that we can try to understand what's going on here and what is the right way to look at this. But I don't want to overlook some of the, the key points from this first section. First, our Holocaust should not be influenced by those who make a small thing of the gospel, those who regard it as a detail in their faith. That's how these men are who have come. And Paul observes that they are not being clear regarding the gospel. In other words, they're preaching their message, but then also, by the way, Yeshua... These men should not dictate our halakha. Secondly, our halakha should not be a result of the fear of men, but of the fear of God. And finally, our halakha should be informed by the needs of the greater body. This is Peter's greatest error, perhaps. He begins to act in light of what those with more zealous traditional observance expect from him. Instead of acting in light of the needs of the body. Now, I, I want to uh, appreciate here that we at Devar have made an effort to be a distinctly Jewish body, and this is not necessarily what this text is about. But I will say this text applies to us in inasmuch in that we have a Gentile congregants here, thankfully, and that we ought to know how to welcome them. We ought to know how to treat them as compatriots in our community. So you can uh, consider for yourself, if there are any broader messages about how the Messianic uh, uh, congregation, I guess the Messianic community, should relate to the church at large. You can ask those questions. But all I'm going to say is that uh, we're going to focus today on the local body and that in any and every local body, the Alakha must be welcoming to every party. And so here we must be welcoming to Gentiles. And at churches, they must be welcoming to Jews as well. Uh, Let's press on. Paul's going to get into the theological error that Peter has made. In verse 15. We are Jews by birth and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Yet, we know that a person is set right not by deeds based on Torah, but rather through putting trust in Messiah Yeshua. So even we have put our trust in Messiah Yeshua in order that we might be set right Uh, based on trust in Messiah and not by deeds based on Torah because no human will be justified by deeds based on Torah. But if while seeking to be justified in Messiah, we ourselves also were found to be sinners, is Messiah then an agent of sin? May it never be. What Paul is saying is, hey, I'm a Jew. If anybody is going to think he can be justified by Torah, it's me. So all of you guys out there who you are not Jewish or you don't have a pharisaical background like me who think you can be justified by Torah, you're mixed up. You, just, you got it all wrong. If anybody should think so, it's me. But even I, as a Jew, understand I cannot be justified by Torah. I can only be justified by Messiah. I think we know this. I think most of us have heard this and we understand this. But what I want to do this morning is explore what this means for our ongoing spiritual lives. Because Peter knows this, yet he still made this error. Peter understands the gospel. He understands salvation by faith alone, yet he has some confusion about how he is to live. And so this demonstrates that perhaps the gospel hasn't permeated into his spiritual life. Perhaps he understands it as where his spiritual life begins, but he doesn't understand it as how he grows. And so that's what I want to address in particular today. So Paul is, is absolutely certain we all need Yeshua, Jew and Gentile alike. Paul is concerned by Peter's actions not only because they are creating a division in the body and denigrating the Gentile believers, but because there's a theological error beneath these practices. So the first part of the error is the works righteousness. This, this part we, we hear about often. When we say works righteousness, we're not talking about grace-first works as in You know, don't do anything and trust God versus labor, labor, labor. Okay? So Rich's uh, drosh about laboring for God, about doing good works, still applies. We're not saying that's bad. But what we're saying is works cannot be regarded uh, as a means for righteousness. So that's what we mean when we say grace versus works. So the error here is that it's suggested, somehow, it's suggestive, that works can draw you near to God. this is a misunderstanding it's a misunderstanding because it suggests it suggests that we need God and messiah's sacrifice to enter a relationship, but that after that we 're good. After that, when we make a mistake when we do something wrong then we're on a tit-for-tat basis again. As in, we step into the relationship with God under grace, but as we move forward, we have to maintain that grace. I want to be clear. We only maintain that grace in the sense that we ask for it over and over again. We don't have to strive to stay in God's good graces as though he's going to bless us for obedience and curse us for disobedience. That is the old way. That's not the way of the gospel. We can do good works to please God and to grow towards him But we have to understand that it's the Ruach HaKodesh in us, the Spirit of God, that is ultimately going to change us. And I think this will become more clear as we talk about holiness. We must pursue holiness as believers, but we ought to be careful about how we think about this pursuit. Even while pursuing good works, we must acknowledge that all along the way, God loves us on the basis of Yeshua's righteousness, not our own. So it's not as though... God saves you. And then, as you walk with him, you become so righteous in and of yourself that he now loves you because of your righteousness. No, because in that moment, you've said, I'm going to set aside the grace given from Yeshua, and I'm going to stand on my own righteousness. And I'm I'm saying this simply is not how it works. This becomes clear as we look at what holiness is. Now, we need to define holiness, I think. And we also need to understand the connection between sanctification and holiness. Now, this is important because there are different, just as there are different ideas about holiness, there are different ideas about what sanctifies you as an individual. So to be holy is to be kadosh, it's to be set apart, sacred, or pure. And the word sanctify is related, kadosh, it's just the verbal form, means to make holy, to set apart, consecrate, make or declare holy. So these things are intrinsically related, but you can see there's a range of meaning within each term. In other words, holy can just mean set apart, or it can mean pure. It can mean different than that which is over there, or it can mean without sin and righteous. So when I look at at the scriptures, and I see the way holiness is pursued uh, by Israel as a nation, and I see the way it's pursued by the followers of Yeshua, I see some differences. And I think this relates to our halakha. First of all, when we aspire to Torah holiness, what I want to call Torah holiness, we have to separate from the nations. This is essentially what whole portions of the Torah are about, separation from the Gentile nations. Okay? And it's understood that by separating and by maintaining our religious fidelity to God we will retain our holiness. I'm not disputing that that is holiness, but it's, it's really just one kind of holiness, okay? Because it's the holiness that's primarily being set apart. In other words, you could excel at this holiness, but still be unrighteous before God, because being separated from the nations does not guarantee that you have a pure heart. Of course, no one could really do this except Yeshua himself anyway. So this is one sort of holiness to strive for. Another sort is what I want to call New Covenant holiness. I'm only calling it that because it's the New Covenant that makes it available to us. All right. But New Covenant holiness says that we are made holy through Yeshua's imparted righteousness. His righteousness or his being without sin rather than ritual purity. So this is a a very different kind of holiness. And it's important because we have to ask can Peter be with Gentiles and still be holy? The men from James say no. They are saying that is specifically in contrast contrast with Torah holiness. It's totally wrong, they say. You can't be with Gentiles. That's an old definition of holiness. To be frank, it's outdated. It's not in line with what God is doing in the world today. And I'm not saying that Jew and Gentile should be so similar that there's no distinction at all. But what I'm saying is that this holiness that says our righteousness is, being, is based on being different than the sinner over there, it doesn't work. And I'll demonstrate that as we go on. But Peter can dwell and fellowship with Gentiles if he has a different halakha, if he has a halakha that strives for new covenant holiness. Because if his holiness is imparted and it's not earned, and if his holiness is based on internal purity rather than external purity, then he can can maintain it even while dwelling among Gentiles. So all of a sudden we see that part of the conflict here is that there are two different ideas about what it means to approach God and two different ideas about what makes us able to approach God. Holiness is generally understood as the prerequisite for approaching God, right? Because if we aren't holy, then we can't stand before a holy God. So whichever method we subscribe to, we're going to need a method if we want to begin to try to approach God. Only God possesses this new covenant holiness, this total sinlessness, this total purity. And we can only have it if he disseminates it to us. Only Yeshua, our pure and spotless sacrifice lamb, can offer us this holiness, and only the Ruach can sanctify us, make us holy, through the renewal of our hearts, dealing with the source of sin, rather than the external expressions of sinfulness that the Torah sought to prohibit. Once again, I'm not speaking against Torah, but what I'm speaking against is righteousness based on Torah. This is what the passage is about. So, where does sanctification come into this? We've talked about different definitions of holiness. Sanctification comes in because these different types of holiness have different ways of aspiring to them. In other words, we understand with New Covenant holiness, you receive it from Yeshua, you cannot earn it yourself. It's impossible. Okay? And the primary means by which you are sanctified and continue to grow in your relationship with God after you've received this, is through the ruach, through the conviction and the transforming of the heart performed by the Spirit of God. What is the the driver of sanctification according to Torah holiness. Well, it's God's instructions, the Torah. It's very helpful in helping us separate from the nations. It's very helpful in knowing how to live as Jews, but it does not produce holiness. If it does, then we have to subscribe to what the men from James are saying. If Torah is what produces our holiness, then we have to say, Gentiles, out! Or observe the Torah perfectly. This this is not going to work. Clearly. There's another place we can see an example of new covenant holiness and its, uh, its significance and its ability to, to sanctify the individual and to keep the individual holy throughout various situations. And that's in Yeshua's ministry. You see, Yeshua made a practice of being with unholy people. This is significant because uh, for one, it, it brought the ire of the Pharisees down on him. They said, what are you doing? How can this be a learned man? Look at who he eats with. I want you to know, Yeshua could not recline at table with tax collectors and sinners if he was ascribing only to Torah holiness. If his definition of holiness was that which the Pharisees taught, then he would have been ceremonially unclean. He simply could not do it. However, with new covenant holiness, the pure and sinless nature of God could not be diminished. Yeshua did not need to worry about being uh, tarnished by sinners around him. He was pure and holy. And we, we don't have that same sort of immunity, but when we have the Ruach, we also can maintain internal holiness even when our physical or our uh, ceremonial holiness, or our holiness according to the, to the ordinances of the Torah, are uh, impinged upon. Torah holiness says we are defiled by unclean foods, but new covenant holiness says we are defiled when evil speech flows out of our hearts. This is something Yeshua taught. Once again, I'm not saying we shouldn't follow the Torah. I'm not saying we shouldn't be distinguished as Jews, but I'm saying we absolutely should never do it for righteousness. Never do it to try to grow closer to God. Now maybe maybe you have an issue in your life where you're walking away from your Jewish heritage and you need to... To reclaim it, maybe then that'll involve observing some Torah and, and getting right with God because it was a sin issue. But generally speaking, this is not how God is going to sanctify you. So which holiness ought we to pursue? What should our halakha be? I believe that as Jews we ought to remain set apart as a people. Unique to the extent that it is necessary in order to fulfill our purpose as God's ancient chosen people. That requires a little bit of Torah, I think. Certainly. However, that should never impinge upon unity in the body of believers. Never. That's what's happening here with with Peter. Now, it may not be that, that when Peter was eating with Gentiles that he was actually breaking the Torah. It's possible he was just breaking uh, the popular interpretation of the Torah. In other words, these men from James have a uh, halakha that is more strict. And so no one's actually breaking the Torah, but their halakha uh, says that he is. This could be the case, but I want to be clear that Paul chooses to respond to that thinking. He chooses to respond to the thinking that, that those sort of external works are what define Righteousness. That is why he chooses this moment to confront Peter this way. Remember, Peter knows the gospel. Paul is not just trying to clarify the gospel. He's trying to clarify what truly makes us righteous. We need a new measure of holiness. We cannot use the Torah as our measure of holiness if we cannot in good conscience keep it in its entirety. That would leave us in sin. We need to appeal to new covenant holiness as our primary Understanding of righteousness. So we need to understand that. I mean, the the Torah, as we're going to cover in Galatians later on, it was a tutor to lead us to Messiah. Okay? It had a purpose in making our sin known to us and teaching us of our need, but it is not the ultimate definition of holiness and righteousness. It's just not. If it was, how would uh, Peter's Gentile compatriots ever enter the community? You see, in Acts 15, when they express the Gentiles' don't have to observe Torah to be part of the community of faith, they're also saying there's another definition of holiness and it's not based on uh, ritual perfection. It's based on the heart. and It's based on man's condition before God. And this always was, I think, the essence of the Torah. But God had to give us these extra instructions to separate us from the nations. So that Torah holiness isn't bad. It's good for what it's made for. It's good for separating us from the nations and giving us Jewish identity but it's bad if it impinges upon our body of believers let's read on from verse 17 but if while seeking to be justified in Messiah we ourselves also were found to be sinners is Messiah then an agent of sin may it never be For if I rebuild the very things I tore down, I prove myself to be a lawbreaker. What's being said here is that we're going to be accused of sin for compromising on these issues of ritual cleanliness. Those who are more observant, certainly religious Jews, and maybe some within the body of faith, are going to look at us and say, you guys are sinners. But we should understand that because our holiness comes through Yeshua and because the definition of holiness that says we are set apart from the nations is not the ultimate definition, that accusation does not hold up. Now, why is this so significant to Peter? Remember Peter's shame? A works-oriented faith requires that you feel the burden of shame whenever you sin. And that you carry it and carry it and carry it. You've been rejected from the community, potentially. When you commit sin, it's a sin against the community, right? And you're and you're defiling the community's holiness. That's a Torah-based holiness. In Yeshua, forgiveness is available. I'm gonna kind of fast forward uh through the last section on the bulletin, um, through our our new halakha, you can read the final verses of the chapter to think about it. And in a couple weeks, Matt's going to preach on those verses, and so I I think he'll be covering that on how Paul uh, lives in light of Messiah. But I do want to tie up this situation with Peter. There's an amazing thing that happens after um, after the resurrection. Yeshua comes to Peter and he says, Do you love me? And he asks him three times. He gives Peter three opportunities. For every instance in which Peter denounced him out of fear, he's able to state his love for him. I think this is the essence of New Covenant Holiness. It comes from God. It comes from Yeshua because he offers it to us in any and every situation where we haven't earned it. That is particularly what happens to Peter and even in this situation where Peter is separated, he's going to go on and, and continue to fellowship with Gentiles again because he can be restored with Yeshua's forgiveness. This morning I want to encourage you to pursue God in light of the new covenant body of which you are a member. If you are a Jewish, you ought to continue to identify as a Jew and following at least some portion of the Torah is likely to help you to do this. But I urge you to be careful about your striving for ritual purity and Torah holiness. Do not allow a holiness defined by separation from your Gentile brothers to allow you to embrace some sort of cheap righteousness, one that says we are holy by nature of keeping the quote-unquote less holy at arm's length. This understanding is, is totally dated. God is doing something different. Sanctify your understanding of what holiness is for us today. Do not allow ritual separation to come between you and your brother or sister. Furthermore, while you are pursuing righteous living, remember that you are neither uh, that you neither enter into nor maintain God's love for you with your works. Okay, when your works aren't good, it's a problem. But Yeshua is the one who maintains a relationship. So this morning, whatever shame you've experienced, if it's like Peter's or not, whatever it may be, understood that Yeshua will look at you and he will say, do you love me? And you can say, because of his grace, I love you. And he'll say, okay, good. We're okay. You see, you can always come back into relationship with Yeshua when it's strained. And that's because... He is the arbiter of this new covenant. He is the one who makes us holy. And he is the one who allows us to approach uh, God above. Our halakha should be one that does not divide the body. We need to remember this. And if you're a Gentile at Devar, and you ever feel as though you're not on the same plane as someone who's Jewish, I don't know if this is the case. I don't think it's likely. But if it ever is, please speak to the elders. Let somebody know because we have a problem with our halakha, if that is the case. And we have a problem with our understanding of holiness. Let's all strive together to live out a halakha based on new covenant holiness, one that neither erases Jewishness nor exalts it. Let's engage in this pursuit in light of the righteousness and grace Yeshua offers us, rather than seeking to justify ourselves through our own works. Let's pray. Avina Malkinu, our Father and our King. Lord, I praise you for providing a way for us to know you. But not only to begin to know you, but to know you on an ongoing basis. I praise praise you for providing uh, atonement, but also a standard of holiness that we can begin to attain to with Yeshua's help. So Father, I praise you for these things. Father, I ask that you would help us To not ever think that we are earning your grace and your favor. to not ever think that our righteousness allows us to be before you. Father, help us to remember that our righteousness brings us before you, but only because our righteousness is Yeshua's righteousness. And so, Lord, help us to remember to look to him whenever we need to draw near to you. Father, help us to embrace this halacha and to seek you according to new covenant holiness. Pray these things in Yeshua's name.